something for you, miss? I guess I need some matches. You don't need matches, miss. I'll tell you what you need. Yes, I think I know what it is you need. Come on, we're gonna go for a joyride. just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter Death's waiting room, if you dare. And welcome back to Strange Highways. Uh... I hope that everybody uh, is back and that we don't have any disappearances that we don't remember from from last episode. Uh, I am Paul, and I'm Kevin. And I'm still here. Oh, good. I was like, we we didn't we didn't even make eye contact about that last episode. So just to make sure that no one knows what we're talking about, so we're not gonna we're not gonna vanish. You know, hopefully. Um, <clears throat> so hopefully, I don't vanish tonight. We're having uh, quite a bit of internet issues. So yeah, I was about to say the name of this episode is called "What You Need," and what we need today is more computer knowledge and better internet. That's what we need. <laughs> um, I don't know if he has a bottle of that to offer us, but that would have been would have been perfect. Uh, yeah. So yeah, like uh, this is. Uh, I feel like we're going to have some more discussion about this episode about previous episodes, but that's that's interesting in the thought process because there's a lot of similar elements to things we've seen recently, but kind of remixed a little differently. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, let's just go ahead. We'll get into, uh, like, what we got here. Uh, air date, uh, December 25th, 1959, Christmas, Christmas Day, which yeah. the guy gave out gifts, right? So kind of kind of appropriate. Yeah. Um, it seems weird, like, I, I feel like they don't really play shows on Christmas night anymore, like, other than, like, Christmas specials and all that. Yeah, like I feel like that's not a big TV night, so I I found it strange that this actually aired that night. Yeah, I had to double check that. I was like, does that make sense? And it was weird because the the episode we had just watched, uh, there was like a two week gap between that episode and this one, an air date, right? So it's like mm-hmm. they had they could air an episode on Christmas, but what happened those two weeks between? Like, what was so important then? I don't know. It just felt really like some odd timing. Um, yeah. The only thing I could really find about that date, other than it being Christmas, so I'm sure there's plenty of wonderful memories there. Uh, someone probably got a Red Rider BB gun and shot their eye out. Um, Elvis was still was in, was in Germany in the army, and it was like right before he came back and became super huge. That was the one thing I found. And also, uh, Barbie. This was the first year that was available, and this was right before it just like skyrocketed. So this was the first Christmas with Barbie. Oh wow! So there you go. Some Christmas facts. And then, uh, most importantly, we should discuss the number one song was Heartaches by the Number by Guy Mitchell. Yeah, I listened to that. I really kind of dug it. It, it was definitely yeah. definitely not Mac the Knife. And, yeah, uh, and that's why I say it's the most important thing, because Mac the Knife is gone. <laughs> that was, <laughs> Never to come back to that number one spot ever again. That was my Christmas wish. It came true. Um, so, yeah, it was, it's a good song. Like I, it, it very, I mean, I'm sure you could probably speak more to the musical stylings of it. It's definitely more of a country song that was number yeah. one. 
Uh-huh. And it's it's been done by a bunch of people. Um, so I've never actually heard that version of it, which is strange that it was like the number one song for a few weeks, and I've never heard that one. Yeah. Um, and then the number one film, I don't know if this is right or not. Like I kept trying to f- locate this. There's... It was a film called The Silent Man, but then when I typed in all the information about that, I kept coming up with silent films called The Silent Man. So I'm just going to go ahead and say it's Ben Hur. I don't know what was number one film was during Christmas. I don't really know. Maybe it's a secret. I just I couldn't find any information about what was playing that weekend. It was really weird. Interesting. Yeah. So I mean, who'd have thought that our record keeping isn't exactly um, exact? You know, fifty, sixty years later. But uh, but yeah, that's uh. So there you go. It's our it's our it's our Christmas episode that we didn't know was Christmas episode that we're going to be talking about. Yeah. So Merry Christmas. Um, <laughs> yeah. As we melt, uh, recording this in the summer and dying slowly. Well, uh, it's almost Christmas. Actually, it is Christmas in July. It's Christmas Eve for that. So that's true. We're recording this on the twenty fourth. So Merry Christmas and July Eve. And then yeah, when we you should- listen to this, it'll be Christmas Day, kind of. Perfect. Yeah. That worked <laughs> out of. really well. I didn't even realize that. You're right. Um, all right, yeah, so let's go ahead. We can get into the cast and crew. Yeah, uh, this episode was directed by Alvin Ganser, who directed three other Twilight Zone episodes, including the Hitchhiker episode, which is a pretty famous uh, segment. Um, it was written by originally by Harry Kuttner and possibly his wife, uh, C.L. Moore, uh, with the same title, What You Need, which I did have a chance to catch up with, so I'll be talking about that a little bit. So does that then, story hew more closely to what we saw versus like uh, last week when it was not at of, all? Oh, <laughs> totally different. Oh. Other than people getting things that they need, uh, wow, it, it's totally different. Um, and then the uh, teleplay was done by Rod Serling, of course. Okay, um, and I also oh. found out too that this the short story was used also the basis for an episode of Tales of Tomorrow, which was one of those shows that ran around the same time as this. Yeah, well, I think it was like ten years previous. Oh, okay, nowhere near this. Than this, nineteen fifty-two, I think it was. Okay, um, yeah, I did find a download of that episode. I kind of flipped through it, and that looks like it's way closer to the story than this episode was, but. Again, when you got Rod Serling rewriting these short stories, like you're going to get his twist on it. Yeah, that's true. Um, and I, it, it's interesting, though, and we'll talk about this more further. It's just, it seems like he gets inspired by things as opposed to like literal literal interpretations of them. Yeah. Um, and th- this seemed really up his alley because we've seen a lot of the themes and uh, um, content pop up in earlier episodes as very similar to this. So I, I could see him reading the story and be like, yeah, <laughs> I can do something with that. Um, but yeah, it was, it was pretty interesting seeing what he did with it. Um, so the cast, we have Steve Cochran, who plays Fred Renard, our sort of main character. I wasn't really familiar with him. This was his only Twilight Zone episode as well. Yeah. I don't know if you had anything for him. I do, actually. There's two random facts here. One, he starred in the film called Inside the Walls of Folsom Prison, which inspired Johnny Cash to write Folsom Prison Blues. And uh, and Morrissey claims that his parents named him after this actor, hmm. which I mean kind of makes sense because he's kind of like a sour son of a bitch sitting there yeah. with a scarf all hoity-toity, you know, <laughs> doesn't care about life, you know. Like I just I I don't know if art imitates life at all, but that that felt he he kind of felt a little Morrissey to me, so I thought that was kind of a fun fun little bit. Well, he was punished for wearing that scarf, so it's okay. <laughs> it's true. Uh. Then we got Ernest Truex, who plays Padat. Um, yeah, he, he's a he's been acting. I think his first movie role was in 1913. 
Oh, before like, movies existed. That's crazy. No, I'm joking. <laughs> no, I mean, it, he worked in a lot of silent films and then kind of moved on to TV later on. Um, again, this was his only Twilight Zone appearance, which I was kind of shocked in, uh, shocked with uh, reading that because he seemed like a character actor that would pop up all the time. I like, thought he plays I, such a great mystical like old man character. Yeah, like I, I thought he was in the Kick the Can episode as well. I maybe maybe it's not the well, it had to be the regular one because I don't think he actually. Oh no, yeah, yeah he was in one other. Okay. I wrote on one other Twilight Zone. I thought it said only on my notes here. No, yeah, I, so he was in the Kick the Can one, which that makes sense because that one. I mean, we'll get to it later because I've seen we, I've seen the movie segment. I haven't seen the episode, and I'm sure they're similar where you have older people that kind of have life and still want to enjoy life. And he seemed like that. He seemed like that kind of guy you wanted as like a grandfather. He had that kind of nice, just you know, you just want to hug this guy. And yeah, a, a very very good character actor type. So yeah, I'm surprised yeah, so there's not more. Apparently, other and only. Uh, look pretty similar to me right now. <laughs> um, then we have Reed Morgan, who plays Lefty. Um, this guy had a, a pretty interesting career. A lot of lot of bit roles. Nothing like it. He was never a leading man, as far as I could tell. Um, this was his only Twilight Zone, but he had bit roles in Back to the Future, uh, Helter Skelter, the Charles Manson movie. Um, <laughs> excitingly uh blood beach if you've ever seen that one <laughs> <laughs> i have not he felt like the most modern actor of everybody there though something about his delivery and his look like i'm surprised he didn't get more because he had a very like good leading man quality to him and, yeah yeah even if it was uh, the episode for like a second i still he felt he felt different than the rest of the cast it was funny going through his uh imdb like every single character was like officer policeman detective like <laughs> yeah. he was one of those people that was just like forever typecast as a cop <laughs> or or just uh, that, that that sad sack that just uh he which I, I know you probably don't have the information about the bartender and i want to jump ahead a little bit that bartender was like the 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 worst bartender ever like <laughs> just this yeah this like making fun of this guy and basically saying his nickname is because he used to pitch anyway but he's just like just like keep saying his name over and over again and anyway, whatever i just like man but he was really happy about it too he was being mean and kind of happy at the same time I, it was a weird mix but yeah anyway, yeah anyway sorry we're i'm jumping ahead i, just, oh, no. I was angry about the bartender um well i'll jump ahead to the girl in bar played by arlene martell and i'll let you handle that one because i know <laughs> you got some uh <laughs> you got some info to drop on us. Uh, well, um, just uh, two things. One, she happened to be in um, an original episode of Star Trek. And then the other thing, too, she is in one of these movies that I'm sure you may have heard of in passing. Actually, you know, I'm, I'm going to ask this. Zoltan, The Hound of Dracula. Have you seen it? No, I have not. I This is the only VHS tape I have left that I own is, is this movie. And she's in it at the, like for like five minutes, but she has like one of the top buildings in it. Hmm. And it's all about these people, like uh, this Romanian type army. This is like in the late seventies, and they find Dracula's tomb, and then they there's definitely one one thing that says Dracula, and the one that says like Zoltan, and they open up that one, and they find like Dracula's like like Doberman, and there's a stake in the Doberman, and they pull it out, and the the dog comes back to life, but they leave Dracula where he's at. So I don't know <laughs> why it's it's such a ridiculous movie, and I yeah. I've, I've always kept the, the box because it's like I just got to keep a VHS copy of Zoltan the Hound of Dracula around. Yeah, I gotta check this out. It looks ridiculous. <laughs> and you can tell it's a quality tape because, like, you look at it, it was produced on uh, EP, so the reel on it's really, really tiny, and it's like an hour and a half movie, so you can tell that they spared no expense putting this out on VHS for people to watch. 
you know like so anyway i i never uh, thought you know what? i remember the cover anchor bay had put out a dvd of this i remember seeing the dvd at some point i yeah. never watched that though well it seems the, like something i would have picked up <laughs> does, does, the, does the cover art have the 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 dog with its lower jaw photoshopped where it looks almost like a snake opening up because dog jaws don't open that wide is that no a, not okay. on the dvd but i see the vhs cover he <laughs> does look like a snake that's that's oh, the one so i have <laughs> I'm so, it's like green and orange font on it yeah um, yeah that's very awesome just never ever thought a i'd ever have a discussion about zoltan the how dracula that's recorded and b i never thought there would be a twilight zone connection to it so <laughs> I, was, I was tickled by that um as far as star trek though um i saw she was in an episode called amok time yeah and or, that's is that is that a fairly famous episode? Because I know I shop on a toy website called Amok Time. Uh, it is like so. You're going to put me on the spot about my Star Trek knowledge, and I'm going to tell you that I I have a vast knowledge of enjoying the episodes, but not the background of them. Um, I know that like that's famous enough that whenever um, they were pitching the Star Trek uh, Enterprise TV series uh, to be made, they're actually going to take one of the characters from that episode that was a Vulcan, I believe, and and um, make make that person a crew member on Enterprise, which takes, play, takes place before the original series, and yeah. kind of have a tie to that, saying this is a crew member that was younger, because Vulcans live forever, and like they're going to have them be one of the crew members that you would be like, oh, well, that's leading towards that storyline, whatever that was. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, Paramount's like, nah, we're not going to do that. So it's I mean it's famous enough that they're actually going to pull a character out of it like out of canon and bring it into another series. Yeah. So there you go. That was like reasonably intelligent answer about Star Trek. I'm happy that yeah. I gave that to you. And someone's going to fact check that and be like, Paul, you're completely wrong about that. And I'm like, you're probably right. <laughs> but I know my Zoltan the Hound Dracula. <laughs> yeah, I, I know I know so little about Star Trek that like that's why I just left that for you. <laughs> um, and then I will say uh, the bartender was played by William Edmondson. Didn't really do too much else. And I had to write down, there's one other guy in this. He played the guy on the street at the end. Uh, his name was Fred Krueger. I don't know if you caught that. but No, I did, I did, <laughs> like, no, I did not. I did not catch that. That's amazing. The guy that gets the comb at the end of the episode. Um, his name is Freddy Krueger. Oh my goodness! <laughs> and that's funny so, because uh, uh, we talked about perchance to dream, and how everyone asked Wes Craven if he was influenced by that episode, and he's like, "No, no, 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 no." And then just two weeks later, or two episodes later, there's a guy named Fred Krueger on the Twilight Zone. Wes Craven, I know you're gone from this world, but I think you have some splaining to do. That's, that's Desi a, Arnaz would be proud. Explaining <laughs> some splitted to do, yeah. So that that's a weird connection. That's awesome. Uh, I didn't even notice that. That's funny. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, so that's that's it. Like, not that many people involved in this episode. Oh, actually, I do want to uh, mention again. Music. Speaking of perchance to dream, music was by Nathan Van Cleve, the guy that did that trippy, um, the theremin music for that episode. Did the music for this, and it's very obvious. But it's, it's yeah, it's, it's really cool. Yeah, I was going to mention the uh, the sound slash music that plays every time uh, something mystical happens <laughs> is, is amazing in this. It sounded so far ahead of its time. Like, it sounded like the synth stuff you would have heard in, like, the 80s, like, late 70s. Yeah, and I, so I, I feel like, like, uh, I liked the episode. I thought it was, uh, it was a good, like, morality type of tale, but the mm-hmm. music elevates it. You know, like just something about it gives it just a little bit more off kilter feel, which it sounds like this guy, this is his wheelhouse. And I yeah. really enjoyed that. Yeah. So, all right, that's your cast and crew. So we'll just go on to uh, what, what Rod Sterling had to say about this episode. Yeah. 
You're looking at Mr. Fred Renard, who carries on his shoulder a chip the size of the national debt. This is a sour man. A friendless man, a lonely man, a grasping, compulsive, nervous man. This is a man who has lived 36 undistinguished, meaningless, pointless, failure-laden years. And who at this moment looks for an escape. Any escape. Any way, anything, anybody to get out of the rut. And this little old man is just what Mr. Renard is waiting for. Um, yeah, and I, I, um, I just wanted to keep that little jazzy piano outro because I felt like that classed up the joint a little bit. Uh, yeah, for sure. I liked, uh, I liked the music behind it. It was just like, he, he's a terrible person, and you just hear this like upbeat piano noise. <laughs> I just uh, Serling is so harsh. On uh, Mr. Fred Renard, uh, <laughs> undistinguished, meaningless, pointless, failure-laden years. <laughs> like, yeah, it's it just, he, and it almost looked like he could hear the narration because he seemed to like sink further into his seat as it was going. <laughs> I know. I just never heard. I've never heard Serling hate somebody so much that he wrote. You know, like it was a, uh, it was just some rough business. It's like I, uh, yeah, I was like, man, like I'm, I'm a little surprised that Sterling didn't break the fourth wall and walk in and just like you know, uh, just push the guy's head down on the bar and walk out. You know, that's what it kind of felt like. Yeah, seriously, a sour man, a friendless man, a lonely man, a grasping, compulsive, nervous man. <laughs> like, that, yeah, and so it's funny. So you, but you, so you got the idea that this is not someone that you, um, that you want to befriend. You know, and then you, like the whole thing of like when then whenever uh, the the older gentleman walks in, it's like it's the stage is already kind of set for, you know, you got someone that is just n- not in a good spot, but they see opportunity. Like you kind of get that immediately, so that's that's good. But man, yeah. he really dumped on him though. Yeah, it, but you know, I I, I kind of like what he did because otherwise it would be really easy to feel sorry for him. You know, you you open on the shot of a guy drinking at the bar, looking depressed. You're like, oh, what what happened to him? But then immediately, Serling's like, don't feel sorry for him. Like, <laughs> here you go. Yeah, uh, here's the deal. I like it. Um, so yeah, we're introduced to Fred Renard, who's sitting at the bar, um, <laughs> living his useless life. You know, and uh, uh, in walks a street peddler by the name of Padot, and he's selling a bunch of things. I was trying to find out. Um, I was doing a bunch of research on shoelaces because <laughs> I feel like every time we run into a street peddler in the show now, like they're selling shoelaces and like in other movies and stuff, like we covered a film on radio Violenta um, from beyond the grave. And, uh, Oh my God. I just uh, blanked on his name. Um, from Halloween. Uh, John Carpenter. No, uh, no, Myers? the, the Oh, Loomis. That uh, Donald, Loomis. Pleasance. Donald Pleasance. Donald Pleasance, thank yeah. you. God, I don't know why that just left my head. Um, he also is just on the corner selling shoelaces and matches. And I'm like, do you really, are you ever in an emergency where you're like, I need shoelaces right now? It just makes you wonder about the quality of the product back then if it was like breaking all the time, you know? Yeah. Like, <laughs> um, but I tried to find like the history of shoelace sales or something. I could not figure out why. Every street salesman sold shoelaces. Well, I also find it odd too that this is a reoccurring idea of the traveling salesman. 
Mm-hmm. That like I mean, and by reoccurring, I mean this is the second time this has happened in the short run of the show that we've been watching. But I mean, you had um, I cannot remember his name, but in one for the angels, uh, yeah. that that gentleman, and he, you know, like like there's this, and I was going to wait to ask this question for you until later, but it feels like like Serling kind of identifies with like this, uh, like you're you're going to to you know go out and make it however you can and sell what you can, you know, and and be a good salesperson. And there's like this division between the older group that that like they went through the depression, they know what they have to do to get by, and then there's this younger group that kind of doesn't understand it and also just expects, you know, like or they. So it feels like I just wondered if there was like a, if he's kind of commenting on the current generation because they didn't have the same the same hardships. I mean, they had, you know, obviously they grew up during the war, but did, did they grow up during the depression? Uh, yeah, because Mr. Renard, like he doesn't feel like he doesn't seem like the appreciative type. No. Um, yeah, I, I really think there there is a correlation between the two because Serling definitely would have uh, grown up during the Depression. So he would have that uh, respect for money and, you know, working for what you deserve and everything. And this episode really covers that. I mean, uh, Renard is just trying to find the easy way out of everything. And uh, he feels like the world owes him something. Yeah. Whereas, whereas the other people that we'll get to that uh, Pidot helps, they kind of are working to do something but like the world has kind of been against them the whole time so you know he's helping them out but renard is just in it to find the easy way out and i I can definitely see that coming from growing up during the depression and really uh understanding how how nice it is you know living in this time and uh working and having a good life and everything but it feels like the street peddler type of idea has now kind of migrated its way into like the kiosk in the mall so it feels like then certainly treated this with respect. He treated the, the job with respect, which, um, you know, that kind of idea of like, you know, you walk by somebody and they try to get to your attention with something that you may not think you want. And then they try to, you know, talk you into it. Like that's kind of shifted over time. But there's a yeah. certain there's a certain kind of dignity to this job of like this guy, you know, he's taking his case. He's going around. He's engaging with people. You know, it's like, and it feels like, uh, I think there's like kind of like a sense of like, not honor, but like there, there is a respect that he has for, for that kind of, uh, just going out and doing it. And, and I was also, I was waiting for the case to have the same items that, that was in, uh, one for the angels. I was waiting for a toy robot. I was waiting for like everything just to show up and be like, I know what you need a toy robot. I'm not going to tell you until later, but you'll need that toy robot. Well, it's funny cause they, they did reuse later on, um, one of the props from an earlier episode. I don't know if you caught that. Um, the newspaper he's holding is the same newspaper from uh, um, Time Enough oh at Last. God. Time Enough at Last, yeah. Yeah, I saw that in the trivia. I couldn't, when I was watching the episode a second time, I couldn't catch the headline. So I'll yeah. trust someone really like took a look at that. And I thought that was funny, though. That's like, like it's kind of like an in joke that that's the headline for what's about to happen. And also, I know that the horses, a lot of the horses listed were the names of cast and crew of the Twilight Zone. Yeah. So anyway, um, yeah. So Pidot, we we kind of get a nice base on what his power is. He goes up to a girl sitting at a booth and she wants to buy some matches, but he's like, "No, you need the stain remover." Which at first I was like, "That seems insulting." Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, so she she takes it and you know keeps drinking her beer at the booth she's sitting at, and he walks up to another man at the bar uh, who play who is lefty. Uh, Reed Morgan we were talking about um, who is an injured professional baseball player and uh, he gives him a bus ticket to Scranton, Pennsylvania 
which he doesn't know why he gives him that and everything. And uh, soon after, he gets a call at the bar that there's a team in Scranton, Pennsylvania that wants to hire him as their pitcher. So he's like, how did you know that? And you see Fred at the end of the bar kind of watching him taking notice of all this and uh, decides to confront him outside the bar. Yeah, but then you find out the cleaner was needed so she could approach the you know, lefty to say, yeah. oh, you got a stain on your shirt. Here, I got this. Which, that's all well and good. And that, that feels a little bit romantic. It still feels a little sexist, though. It'd be like, here's the cleaning material. Why? Because you're going to need to talk to this guy because he's on his way to Scranton, you know, the big time. You know, I just felt like, I know, maybe what she needs is companionship, but it felt like that was kind of like a, a woman thing to do. Like, here you go. Here's some cleaner. And now you're going to meet a man. That felt yeah. kind of felt kind of Disney. I don't know. It was really it was kind of odd. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, it was funny when he gave him the bus ticket to Scranton too. Everyone's like, "What is in Scranton, Pennsylvania?" There's nothing in Scranton, Pennsylvania. And I was like, "Well, maybe he'll go get a job at Dunder Mifflin." <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was thinking. You know, they need paper back then, right? Um, mm-hmm. So, so yeah. Basically, you get this idea that the 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 peddler he does sell kind of odds and ends, but his whole thing is that he it's like he he's kind of. It, exerting good in the world like in little bits like just that push that you needed to get where you needed to go you know and and it's like he it's a gift that he has that you find out and he just kind of like you know he i don't know if he picks these items out in advance in terms of like oh i'll need this and this and this or that just happens to be this is what he has and he finds people that need them which i don't know yeah. they never really get into that but well it's like, here's he, what i'll say um about the story the story is vastly different where you have a uh, journalist who works for an economics paper, like a trade paper, and uh, he's trying to find stories about businesses and stuff. And he goes into a storefront that says what you need on the front of it or we have what you need. And so he goes in and I mean, he's seeing people come in and paying him like thousands of dollars and stuff and like walking out with like eggs and just like random objects and he's like what is this like what are you doing is this a front for something you know but it turns out that um the padot character which is not named padot in that but um he has a machine in the back that he's developed and when you walk through a front door it scans you and and he goes back in the machine and he can see every possible outcome of like important moments of your life like whether that be something good or something tragic happening so like um so he's very much he's got it's like this weird like uh like he just looks through a lens like this glowing lens and he turns all these knobs and stuff and he can see like every outcome and he can kind of play god and decide which outcome is either the best or the best for the world you know if it's if it's a man that's going to end up like uh causing problems or something he decides that like oh this guy needs to be taken care of it's 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 what the world needs so it almost gives like this godlike uh <laughs> um it, it kind of atmosphere to the padot character in the story and that's funny because uh renard actually specifically says to him when they're in the apartment like do you have some kind of machine i think that's kind of a nod towards uh the story then that's kind of kind of interesting um, yeah but, yeah, but, but I, I like what Serling did with this. Um, again, we're going to talk about that 20-minute running time. Uh, there's not much time to give a lot of that backstory. And the stuff in the story gets a little dry uh, explaining all that. You know, It, it kind of hammers in the <laughs> details of the machine and everything and how it works. And uh, I, I like that he just kind of leaves it as like, eh, we're in the Twilight Zone. Like, this guy can do this, you know? Yeah, and then and, and you get the idea that Padot doesn't really even know how it works. He just like, 
he just it, it comes to him you know well that he also says something about like uh like he's he there's one point where he kind of gives a note of caution he's like like uh like uh, I, I, I've already done something for you. I can't do this again. Which I mean, you kind of find out later that he kind of already has an idea of what may happen. But it makes me also wonder if it's like a compulsion that you know it's, this is his gift, but he has to go out and provide people things. You know, like he, it's like he almost has like an eternal set of rules that he follows that aren't made clear in the show. But it almost feels like he has his own kind of like his own set of things that he needs to accomplish. Or yeah, yeah, it's kind of it's kind of the Stanley like Spider Man rules in the book like you know it's a uh, with great power comes great responsibility and he doesn't want to have this responsibility fall on somebody else's shoulders so he has to take care of the machine you know okay that makes sense yeah and like, I, I do like I'm, I'm not always a big fan of just leaving it to mystery but this one kind of works like it, it, it works in the twilight zone because yeah. you have that over uh, overarching like in the twilight zone thing so you're just kind of chalk it up to just mysticism you know it's just like oh well he's got this power like i'm okay with that and then and w- then where it gets interesting to me and we've already kind of touched upon this is that renard is the f- is the one to straight up recognize it and his first instinct is like this can be used and that to yeah. me felt like a very modern idea because it's like almost like a um, I don't know, like the Indiana Jones idea of like, well, we have this, like we have the Ark of the Covenant that has one purpose, but we're going to weaponize it. So you have mm-hmm. like this, this thing that already kind of exists and you can't really explain it. Yeah. But how can we make money off of it? Like, yeah. That, that felt well, very first, modern. First, Padot gives him the scissors. So on the way home, he gets, he gets his scarf. Um, <laughs> there's his comeuppance for wearing a scarf. Um, <laughs> it gets stuck in the elevator door. And he needs a scissors to cut himself free. So he realizes, wow, this actually, this man does have this power. Um, and in, in, in the story, he also gives him scissors for the first time. But since he works at a printing press place, uh, his his scarf gets stuck in like a, a bunch of gears of the printing press. Hmm. That may, so, yeah. So the- that's, that's probably like besides that and giving people items that either save or whatever you know other than that like that's really the only thing that uh certainly kept in this episode okay so with um with the scissors which i mean like my question to you i mean i guess we're going to kind of go forward here a little bit like <laughs> if padat has a feeling that he knows like ultimately what he needs and he almost kind of a sense of remorse that he realizes that he had to do something in order to get what he needed do you think it was almost like he's like i kind of know what's going to happen but if i if I just give this guy this one thing, he'll leave me alone. Like he was trying to like give him like, all right, well then if this is what you want, then I'll give you this and then you'll leave me alone. It was yeah. almost like the, like the warnings of like, you know, don't keep pushing this, you know, like, and that's what it kind of felt like in hindsight after like watching it again. It's like, I think he knew, I mean, he knew what was going to happen in the elevator and he ultimately knew what was going to happen to this guy, but he was such a good person. He's like, I got to give him these scissors. Maybe this will get him to turn around and and, sec- and think about his own life yeah yeah w- which they do that kind of in the story as well um he tries to he's like hey if you're satisfied with this send me the money for it and just leave me alone like just please like leave me alone and you get that same feeling out of Padot in the episode yeah and then so then he uh uh renard goes all like you know mobster and starts threatening him basically hey we're partners now this is what we're going to do and then it gives him that leaky fountain pen that uh, inadvertently picks up the winner for a horse race. Um, and that's where you find the newspaper with the, the, the Time Enough at Last headline on it. My question to you, though, important to that whole scene, though, is how loud is that money that he was, like, flipping through? Oh, I know. 
Like he's like, I got all this cash. I'm like, no, you don't. You just have a bunch of cellophane. I don't know what you're crinkling right now. The paper does not sound that. Paper money does not sound like that. I don't know what was going on. Yeah, um, he wins 250 bucks, which I had to do the conversion. It's uh, two thousand four, two thousand dollars and forty. Ah, my god, two thousand forty six dollars today. Cannot speak. That's dude. like that's like half the insurance settlement for stay, stepping in front of a bus, as we found out. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, that was a lot. Like that's a lot of money, a lot of really loud money, you know. And uh, and that wasn't enough for him. You know? So he yeah. keeps he keeps pressing. Yeah. So he goes to confront the old man again, and uh, he tells him he wants to kind of make the um, keep going with the scheme and everything. And he kind of threatens him, picks him up, um, and Padat ends up giving him a certain object that leads to <laughs> the not best ending for Mister Renard. No, I but don't know. He, I don't know if you want to go into it. Uh, no, I mean, well, like uh, I don't think it's any. I don't think it gives away anything to know that, like, when especially when you find out, which this will get to my my twist rating later. That uh, you find out ultimately it was a, what Padot needed, you know, and he didn't want it to go that way, but he he needed Renard to stop, you know, harassing him, and he also would see that his own this would lead to his own death. So he gives him a pair of shoes that don't fit quite right that have leather soles. That you could see the entire like the the street um, set that they use was like you know just damp like it had been raining a lot, and he doesn't he loses his footing and then a very uh, overcranked car comes through and strikes him and he falls down. Yeah, <laughs> it's like a Three Stooges <laughs> car comes through out of nowhere, which I get why that's the way they had to show speed back then, but now it's a little off putting where it's like man they really sped that film up for a second. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, I I have to compliment the. Uh the cityscape that they kind of used outside like it it looked fantastic it had such a great film noir feel to it oh um, yeah I, I i dug it and then it's something about it really kind of it bummed me out seeing all that neon and realized that i can't see the colors of it you know that must oh, have been yeah. a really colorful set yeah and, i yeah. i kind of miss like i wish i have to go into a lot of convenience stores and stuff for work and i wish all those stores still had those cool like neon arrows pointing into the entrance and everything yeah it just looks so awesome um, well, I'm going to tease ahead a little bit. The next episode, the four of us are dying. That that has a lot of those sign, that signage, and it's very stylistic. And I think you'll dig it. So it's a still it's still a bummer that's all black and white though. So, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it was it, like I like this episode. I, it was very much a morality story. It's very very much the the quintessential. Be careful what you wish for. Um, and that's something we're keep coming back to over and over again with the show. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm not a big fan of the final, final ending. Like, you get the twist and everything with uh, Renard getting hit by the car. But then we kind of have, like, uh, <laughs> we have a couple coming outside, like, oh, what's going on out here? And they're like, oh, somebody got hit by a car. And uh, Padat gives him a comb. And they walk out there, and he's like, what do I need this comb for? And one of the newspaper photographers comes over, like, oh, can I get your guys' picture and uh, statement or something as witnesses? And he's like, Oh, I can comb my hair for the picture. Yeah, and you got that little goofy ending, and I, it just kind of took away from the uh, impact of the twist and everything. Yeah, it was a little too like, especially whenever, you know, if Padat saw uh, that he had to have Renard get hit by a car and and be like remorseful of it, and then everybody shows up like, what happened? Oh, it was a hit and run. Let's just take the word of that old man that would just witness this. We're not going to question him. That's fine. Yeah. And then everybody's like, oh, there's a guy dead in the street. We oh there are pictures going to be in the paper. It's like that was kind of a morbid, like just not observation of a man that just died. You know that felt a yeah. little didn't feel like light to me. It should have been 
you know, like I feel like it would have been best if you would have ended it with Padat saying that, you know, that's what I needed, you know, and that would have been just like that would have been good. Like that yeah, would've... and that's why I mean it kind of just took away from the like impact of this whole dark episode, <laughs> you know, yeah. where you just throw this like goofy little uh, uh, couple coming in at the end. Well, Fred Krueger. Yeah, know? Fred Krueger. I mean, yeah, he he wasn't trying about... to get the joke in. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't worried about seeing a guy die in the street. That's Fred Krueger. He he's questionable. I don't trust that guy. Um, so, so no, I like I like the episode. I just like it was a little bit more. Uh, after going from the hard sci-fi of the previous episode to more like the whimsical uh, uh, or mystical is probably a better word, it was a nice change of pace. I liked, I liked that we got objects um, that have purpose. That's something I'm sure we'll see. Uh, objects of mysterious purpose. That's something we'll probably see a lot of going forward. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't so much the object. I mean, the object served a purpose, but it wasn't like the objects themselves had held power. Um, that's what I'm always expecting. Is like the Friday the 13th TV series of like, you know, items of the damned. I'm waiting for that to happen. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I like that you say uh, it took a step back from the hard sci fi because he easily could have had this as a hard sci fi story, just as like the short story by uh, Henry Cutner was. Um, yeah, and I, I love all the performances in this. I really honestly, uh, I, it, Basically, uh, Steve Cochran and Ernest Drux were uh, fantastic together. Yeah, it was uh, good chemistry. Um, I the more we watch this, the more I realize that um, someone saying, "Is this some kind of gag?" is supposed to be kind of like, like you know, like the big abrupt, like "Are you messing with me?" like type of thing. Because we keep hearing the phrase, "Is this a gag?" over and over again. So it's just funny to hear some of the language that now is kind of softer. But back yeah, then, I was going to say, that's just a product of the time. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, just, I enjoyed that. Um, I, I I apologize. I did not get a complete cigarette count in this episode because the last one, I was so overdone with cigarettes the last episode, I think I wasn't paying attention to this one. Um, there was uh, the the very intro. Did you see uh, when um, uh, Renard was sitting at the bar? There's that shot that closed out the, the opening portion of the narration. The smoke was going backwards. Did you see that? No, I didn't. Yeah, that whole shot was reversed. So he was, uh, uh, yeah. So if you look at it, it's it's real quick, but it's just it's just a reverse shot. It, just, it looks like he's like you know, just taking in smoke. It was kind of uh-huh. kind of weird, and it, and it was. I'm sure it was done um, for whatever reason, not stylistically, but it still kind of felt like it, it felt off kilter with the music and everything else. So it was a little off putting when you see it actually happening. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Uh, any, so I don't have I don't have any other notes about this other than. Uh, this this story inspired Stephen King to write the short story I um, I know what you need, uh, which is from one of his earlier uh, anthologies, and then also this reminded me of Friday Thirteenth the series, and also um, Needful Things, another Stephen King story. Yeah, um, I can see that. And there's also there's the I know I come back to Clive Barker often. Uh, there's a book called Weave World where there's a guy named Shadwell that has a jacket that he opens it up, and if whoever he's talking to, they see what they want in the jacket. And so he doesn't know what his jacket will have next, but it's just like, so it's just the weird idea of like, you know, your heart's desire. And, um, so I see this like all over the place and it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's a fun, it's a fun plot device to use. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, it, it, a lot of these themes have, we've already talked about, so there's not too much more that we can really go into. It's, it's basically your Rod Serling morality tale when it comes down to it, you know? careful what you wish for don't be a dick <laughs> I, I feel like this is still like a better take on this than uh mr denton on doomsday where even, sure. though, even though that was a little bit of a redemption story for mr denton i feel like uh mr fate was very kind of 
it wasn't a very complete concept. I feel like with um, Padat, though, that that you got a better idea. Because, I mean, they're, they're basically the same character, in a way. Because Fate rolls in, gives him what he needs, and leaves. You know? Yeah. Um, it's just a gun fixer, or whatever it was called. Uh, you know, so it's like, it's it's very similar. But with this one, it's like, I feel like uh, Padat's more sympathetic. Um, but yeah, it's just interesting that they're they're very similar ideas. Yep. All right, so let's just we'll just get to the twist. Unless you have other other things you want to throw out there. No, that's pretty much it. Um, I'll give this a three just because uh, I knew that Renard would end up somehow getting uh, getting something, getting his. But I didn't expect it was to serve what Padat needed. I thought that was kind of a nice little button on that. Yeah, I'm right on board with you. Uh, three out of five for me on the twist as well. Um, yeah, I, I, I really like the whole thing with, with Padat getting what he needs to save his own life um, and using his powers for that. I I like, like I said in the short story, he kind of covers like what the world needs and kind of using it to, to fight crime, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> but like, uh, you know, I kind of like they cover that God aspect of it a little bit more in the short story. I wish he would have touched on that a little bit, but again, with the twenty minute runtime and keeping these things lean, um, I, I think he did a great job with the teleplay for this. Yeah, and the more the more we go with this, the the more I really start to respect the intro narrations because you can do so much heavy lifting in a matter of like a minute. Oh yeah, then, like I said, then, like it, his character would have been easy easy to uh, give sympathy to, but Serling comes in and just like no 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 <laughs> yeah and. It, it's great like that's a that's a great way to set up a character for a 20 minute story you know give all the background you need in 10 seconds and you're done yeah uh, so uh, yeah more praise for the twilight zone that's why that's why we're watching it so yeah i think that's going to um wrap it up for the story unless like again unless there's anything else additional that we need that i don't know about yeah i think i got everything i need oh there you go all right so um so yeah uh, so kevin how can people get a hold of us how how can they get what they need um, you can find us on Facebook at Strange Highways Podcast. Um, you can always email us at Strange Highways Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, and if you feel inclined, please go to iTunes and Stitcher, rate and review us. Let us know what you think of the show. It really helps out. And uh, I think that's about it. If I'm missing anything else, let no, me know. No, I think, I think we're good. Uh, so, yeah, next episode is of The Four of Us Are Dying. Uh, I'd seen this one previously. I'm not, I'm not going to go too much into it. It's just it's it is very much more stylized. It's it's I'd probably say it's closer to like Perchance to Dream, and the and how it gets kind of weird. And I think you'll like that a lot. So yeah, I'm a, to again going to try and dig up the short story. It's by George Clayton Johnson. Um, I I found a I, he wrote a bunch of episodes, I guess, for Twilight. And on the Kindle store, I found a whole collection of all of his Twilight Zone stories. Oh wow! So. Yeah, so I, it's it's again like three dollars. So I'm I'm gonna end up with quite the uh, <laughs> ebook collection after doing this show. <laughs> You're gonna be so well read after doing a show about television. That's gonna be. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I guess that's a win for you know for people that's like you should read more. Like, yeah, well, that's what's gonna happen. So that's funny. Uh, and I like that you're digging into that part of it because uh, that does give some good good context. I, I appreciate that. Yeah, um, it's it's just interesting to see because you know, like Serling's a great writer. But seeing the people that kind of influenced him and things that he thought were interesting to him, like just seeing how he changed it for the show and everything is just so interesting beyond, you know, because a lot of these episodes are pretty simple when it comes down to it. 
And uh, just adding that other dimension of getting a little bit more background out of the short stories is just so much fun. Yeah, and I I am an un I'm an un uh, well, uh, illiterate heathen. That's what I am. Yeah, you know? so I, I'm just going to keep ignoring books and just watch TV, <laughs> and and that's it. So I'll, I'll leave you to be the the more cultured of the two of us. I, I'm um, pretty sure you read more than me in your personal time. <laughs> so. um, yeah, just you know, maybe I don't know. I, I haven't like it's it's so weird. I mean, I know we live in an age of like uh, always having screens around us, so I read a lot, but I don't read a lot of like books you know i don't read a lot of stories but I, i'm reading all the time and it's yeah. a, it's a weird disconnect right to be like oh, i'm tired of reading but what did you read i don't know like like seven different stories about like sports that's not really <laughs> that doesn't really help anybody you know so anyway um yeah they'll do it do it for us this week um like uh, i hope you guys enjoyed our christmas episode inadvertently uh and may, may you get everything that you wanted on this uh christmas in july i i didn't i didn't buy anybody anything so i hope nobody's gonna be disappointed with me not giving them a present tomorrow um but yeah that, that's, that's going to do it for us uh yeah i'm yeah. just hoping for a pair of scissors <laughs> yeah, well i mean i'm going to bring you some but you're not going to know when you're going to need to use it and a scarf okay. i'm going to bring you a scarf <laughs> and a pair of scissors sounds good i can i can do my best more of the impression <laughs> yes tip a tip oh yeah here's a tip don't play with matches